Chapter Thirty Three of Pee Wee Harris on the Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley, Llano County, Texas, USA. Pee Wee Harris on the Trail by Percy Kesey Fitzhugh. Chapter Thirty Three. Hark! The conquering hero comes back. We need not linger in Bridgeboro, the native haunt of Scout Harris, and of Roy Blakely and his silver-plated fox patrol, and the other celebrities of Pee Wee's troop, for the adventures of these world heroes may be found recorded by Roy's own hand. It will be sufficient to say that the delegation from Kidder Lake descended upon the peaceful home of Pee Wee Harris, peaceful during his absence at all events, and carried it by storm. The anxiety of Mr. and Mrs. Harris over the whereabouts of their son being set at rest by his dramatic appearance at the head of his martial following, there was nothing for them to do but surrender to Scoutmaster Ned while the party partook of breakfast in the fallen fortress. "'He will eat you out of house and home,' warned Mrs. Harris. "'I only want to warn you beforehand.' "'We are prepared for the worst,' said Scoutmaster Ned, as he contemplated his discovery wrestling with a saucer of breakfast food across the table. "'In return for our poor hospitality,' He is going to show us how the world should be run, and we are to be his pupils. Now that we have stumbled upon him, we couldn't close our season without him. I'll show you how to close it, said Pee-wee. The one obstacle which might have stood in the way of these delectable plans, school, was removed by the fact that Scout Harris was to enter a private school. Pity the poor private school which did not open until after Columbus Day. We shall see him wished on to this institution in a subsequent volume. The outlandish sweater and rakish cap in which Pee-wee had masqueraded through that eventful night were now discarded by order of his mother, and on the journey to Kidder Lake he appeared a vision of sartorial splendor in his full scout regalia including all appurtenances and sundries. As a tribute, perhaps, to the island of which he was to be the imperial head, he flaunted his aluminum frying-pan, its handle stuck in his belt, ready to fry an egg at a second's notice in case of emergency. That he might never be at a loss to know where he was at, his scout compass dangled by a cord tied in a double sheepshank knot to harmonize with the knot of his scarf, which could only be removed by lifting it over his head. Thus, though he might be lost to his comrades, he could never be lost to his scarf. Twisted onto the cord of his scout hat was an arrow pointing forward, which gave him an exceedingly martial appearance and was useful, too, in pointing out the way he should go, and safeguarding him from the danger of going backward. But if, by an accident, 
he should go backward or sideways he had the empty funnel of an old auto-horn with which to magnify his voice and make the forest ring with his sonorous cries for help and if the help did not come he had still one cylinder of an old opera-glass with the lens of which he could ignite a dried leaf by day or observe the guiding stars by night and if there were no dried leaves he had his crumpled piece of tissue paper and if the stars did not shine he had a rag for extracting confidential information from the wind and if there was no wind he should worry he had gumdrops mobilized in every pocket every safety device known to scout science and many of quite original conception were upon the martial form of scout harris so that he could not possibly go wrong or starve so it was without any fear that he set forth for the untrodden wilds of frying-pan island notwithstanding that it was a quarter of a mile wide and nearly a third of a mile long End of chapter thirty three